Well, good morning. It is great to have you here as we are beginning our uh, Stormwatch uh, study. And the question that we're going to be asking um, and really looking to answer is, where is God when the storms of life hit? And, and notice I said, when the storms of life hit, not if the storms of life hit, because we know life storms do just hit, don't they? I mean, it could be a number of things. In fact, there are three different types of people in here. I've kind of been sharing some of this as we've been leading up to this. There are those of you who are here today who are just getting through some major storm in your life. And then there are others of you who are here and uh, you're going through it. And you feel it and you know it. And then there's a group of you who are saying, boy, I think I've kind of escaped some of those storms, but they're coming. And so whether you are just exiting a storm, whether you are in the storm, or you will be entering it, we're all here saying, God, where are you when those storms hit? It could be a a financial storm that you're going through right now. It could be a, a physical storm or some medical needs that you have in your life. It could be a relational type storm. Maybe it's something with your job. Maybe you just got laid off. Maybe your boss has uh, been uh, upset. You know your job is tenuous. Maybe it's a personal struggle you're dealing with. Maybe it's something with your emotions or an emotional struggle that you are going through. Let me give you a verse of comfort if I could. Maybe this could be kind of a theme verse throughout this series. It's out of Psalm 57 verse 1 and it says this. It's up on the screen. It's in your outline. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. Amen? Amen. In fact, would you read this verse with me? They're off your outline or up on the screen. Read it with me. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. And so we're going to see how God provides for us in the life storms that we are going through. And if you have your Bible, why don't you open up to the book of Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to look at a physical storm that Jesus was going through and his disciples. He actually brought his disciples through this storm. They're experiencing it with him. Matthew's the first uh, book of the New Testament. If you hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you kind of know where you're at. Go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. Let me just read a few quick verses. Matthew 8, verse 23. It says it like this. It says, And when he, that is Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea, the storms of life, obey him. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that my words that I share now would not be my words, but will be words from you, words from your Holy Spirit that show us how to live life, how to go through storms, and do so praising you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to get a little deeper into this passage here, but I want to invite you to take out your outline 
Because I have a few points I want to make just as we're kind of entering into this first message on these storm series. These are facts about storms. You can fill these in. We'll put them up on the screen. Facts about storms. The first one we wrote was this. Storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. If you're not in a storm right now, you probably will be soon. They are just a part of life. In fact, James 1, 2 says, when you face trials. doesn't say if you face trials, but it says when you face trials. And they can happen to any of us. No one is immune from this. They happen to all of us. There's um, a pastor in our congregation who is a part of our 8 o'clock service. Sometimes he comes in here at 11, but he sings up on our praise team at the 8 o'clock service. His name is... um, Daryl Smith. And Daryl served faithfully as an American Baptist pastor for uh, a number of years, uh, 50 years, I think it was, that he's been in the pastorate. And uh, he wrote a chapter in our book, Stormwatch, FBC Stormwatch, because he's part of our congregation now. And let me just read you a little bit about his story in his own words. In fact, he titles his chapter, Does God Really Exist? Now, interesting question to ask, being a pastor for that many years, but let me share with you some of his story. In fact, he asked questions at the beginning. Maybe these are some of the questions that you're asking in your own life here today. He says, how does a person who is looked to by others for answers to life's problems and questions find answers when he's struggling? To whom does he turn when life becomes difficult and fearful? Can a person who has lived his life without sharing fears and questions about his own spiritual struggles find answers to those questions? He talked about how being a pastor, he was supposed to be a pillar of strength for other people and his life as a minister. But then he said in 2003, some interesting things happened. He said, over the years, I had been to the hospital a lot of times, but I was always the one standing beside the bed, not the one in the bed. He said, it all changed in 2003 when suddenly I was in a uh, serious need of triple heart bypass surgery. In 2004, I had a cataract removed. Again, in 2005, I was back in the hospital where surgeons performed two different surgeries to remove a large pituitary tumor next to my brain. And then a second cataract removal followed. He says, at this point in my life, I became aware that I was having some spiritual struggles which I'd never experienced before. He said, after having been a Christian for some 50 years and serving the Lord as a pastor for many of those years, for the first time in my life, I began to question the existence of God and the reality of my salvation. He says, I was afraid. But he went on to say that he had a family and a strong group of people who are in his life and supported him through it. And then he said God showed him a number of verses in Scripture that settled it for him. Here's what he said. He says, as I began to deal with these spiritual questions, the Lord was again good to me. He says he began to bring passages of Scripture to my memory. I remember Jesus struggled in the wilderness when Satan was tempting him. But Jesus quoted Scripture right back at him. Satan was no, has no power in our lives unless we give it to him. To help with my own personal questions, the Lord reminded me of the passages, especially in Romans, that he was there for me. In fact, we sang a song, Oh No, You Never Let Go. Those kind of words just came to mind and scripture came to mind, especially from Romans 8.31. 
he goes on to say, it wasn't until later that I came to understand Satan was playing games with my mind when I was physically weak. If the Lord had been good to me through my many years of walking with him, then he again, through major heart surgery, two heart surgeries, two cataract surgeries, a craniotomy, he, I know, would be good for me now and good to me now and bring me through. He said, what the Lord showed me is that he is always faithful. Always faithful. That story is written up, as Pastor Mike said, 13 other stories of people just like you who have gone through storms in life, but have looked and turned and said, God, in the midst of the storm, I know you are here. In the midst of the storm, I receive answers from you. And some answers maybe are not expected. Some answers may even be, be to be continued. But we know when we go through those storms that God is there and he walks through those with them. Storms will happen to all of us. And again, if you're not in one now or have not just come through one, you probably will be headed into one because storms are inevitable. Second thing I wrote down at the top of the page was this. Storms are unpredictable. They're unpredictable in our lives. It says, without warning, a furious storm came up. That's out of the story that we just read here. Without warning, the storm came up. A number of years ago, my wife and I were able to go to Israel and see the Sea of Galilee. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee on a nice, calm day. When you see or think of the Sea of Galilee, think Lake Tahoe, something like that, where you have some mountains. You see mountains on the other side. You see mountains on this side kind of surrounding. But actually, the mountains kind of create a little bit of a wind corridor that the winds come whipping right through. And so the mountains surround much of the lake, but the storms can come up without warning and have this kind of this this wind corridor that comes through. And obviously the disciples did not see this storm coming. I don't know if they'd have gotten the boat if they had seen the storm was coming their way. Likewise, storms can be very unpredictable to us. You never know when one's going to strike. Could be a a 3 a.m. phone call where maybe a good friend of yours or maybe a parent of yours suffered a heart attack and you have to go down to the ER to visit with them and to see how they're doing. Maybe it was a breakup of someone who you thought was going to be your life partner. And all of a sudden he or she said, nope, I'm done. And now you feel so alone. Maybe it's a child of yours who's gone through a debilitating uh, disease or a debilitating circumstance or injury and You're just trying to put these pieces together. Maybe you got laid off work. You have no idea where the next mortgage payment or house payment is going to come from. Maybe it's um, that you found out you're pregnant. You're out of wedlock. Now you're pregnant. Or perhaps maybe you're married. You've been trying for a number of months or maybe even years to get pregnant and you can't. And every time it feels like it's a punch in the gut, a punch in the gut, a punch in the gut. Storms happen. They're very unpredictable. Very unpredictable. We never know when they're going to come. As it says there in verse 24, came up without warning. And then the last point I want to make about storms, not just that they're inevitable or unpredictable, but also they're impartial. They come to everyone and into anyone. It says there in Matthew 5, 45, for God sends rain on the just and the unjust. In fact, let me, let me just share a little couple thoughts with you. Does it help to know that right now, as some of you are going through some storms, that maybe you are sitting right in the middle of God's will, right where he wants you to be. 
Now, I don't know if that brings comfort, comfort or discouragement, but, but realize that. That you're going through a storm. Maybe this is exactly where God wants you. He brought the disciples through this. They never would have probably chosen this. They didn't want to go through this. And yet they were following Jesus. They were in the boat with Jesus. They weren't out of his will. They were coming right through this with him. And maybe, just maybe, God is bringing you through some type of a storm because maybe he's wanting you to trust him. Maybe he's wanting you to learn to look to him in the smaller circumstances or maybe bigger circumstances because perhaps bigger things are coming. We don't know where this world's headed. We don't know the good and the bad that's coming about, but maybe you're going through some things right now that God's preparing you to even for some major or bigger things that you will stay close to him and keep you from bigger harm. See, being a Christian does not exempt you from going through a storm. We all go through times of discouragement. We all go through times of some sort of maybe disease or depression or disappointment or defeat in our lives. And so let me just dispel a myth about this. Let me, let me play Mythbuster for just a second here. To think we only face storms when we are disobedient is just not true. Now, some of you in here maybe are going through a storm because you have been disobedient. That certainly happens. We don't have to question that. That happens. We know it. We sense it. We feel it. But there are others of you who are going through something and it was not necessarily brought upon you because of something you did or someone else did. But it's a part of the sinful nature that we have and that we live in. Ever since that sin explosion went off in the Garden of Eden, we have lived in that. Storms happen. Life happens. Storms hit. And when they do, you have a couple different choices you can make. It's in the box that you have in your outline. We see two reactions here. Both of them are in the story that we're studying here today. The first one we can look at is this. Is I can be filled with panic. You can be filled with panic. Look at the verse in verse 25. It says, and they went and they woke up Jesus saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. Save us. We're drowning. I think the NIV actually puts in there, we are drowning. Can't you see this? Now think about this for just a second. Most of the disciples of Jesus were fishermen, weren't they? Most of them were. You would think that they would have experienced some pretty big storms before. And yet, this one seemed to really rock their world. This one seemed to be one that, that they immediately focused in saying, uh, Jesus, um, you know what, there's some big things going on here. I'm not sure that uh, we're going to make it through this one. In fact, the word used here in the Greek is where we get from the English word seismograph or a very violent shaking. And so experts who have been in this region said that the waves could have been about 20 feet tall, which is about two-thirds of the way up this pillar here. The waves could have been over 20 feet tall, and now they are swamping and swarming the boat that they are in. In fact, verse 24 says the waves were sweeping over the boat, which is flat-out scary if you are out there because it's only now a matter of time. If those waves keep coming, if the storm keeps coming upon them, that that boat is going down, that boat is going under. And so the disciples panicked. But there's a second choice that we can make, a second reaction that we can have. We can panic or, I wrote down there, I can be filled with peace. I can be filled with peace in the midst of a storm such as this. 
You know, surfing is uh, kind of a cool sport. I'm not sure how many of you are in it. We're a couple hours away from the beach, and some of you may get over there and like to surf a little bit. But uh, I'm not sure if any of you have been to uh, Malibu or even over in Santa Cruz when a storm hits, right? When storm hits, everybody runs for cover, but where where do the surfers run? Yeah, they run to the beach, don't they? They, they run to the beach. And, um, you know, uh, we have a picture here of me when I was serving. Um, uh, okay. You laugh. Why, 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 why are you laughing at this? No. Yeah, that's not me, right? A way, now watch this. A wave like this can crush you. But not if you're surfing it, huh? If you're riding that wave to shore... You can experience just glory as you're riding something like this. But here's the thing. There are only a few feet of difference between surfing a wave and sinking underneath a wave. Just a few feet. You can panic or you can have peace. You can panic or you can surf the wave. In fact, look at the verse here. Look what it says that Jesus did. It says, but Jesus was surfing, wasn't he? Right? He he was sleeping. But Jesus is asleep in the boat. And he he is surfing that wave in. In fact, this, I think, gives us great insight into how Jesus dealt with problems. I mean, look at what he's doing here. When Jesus is sleeping here, that shows us a couple of things. I just, I just thought of a couple of things this week. Number one, it shows us that he's human and that he gets it. And what you are going through, he experienced too. I, I mean, he, he gets tired, so he sleeps. He gets places where, where, where he's fatigue is worn in. He understands it. He gets it. He knows what you're going through. He was human too. But he was unfazed by this. He was not worried by this. He was saying, my father is in control of this situation. I mean, that's what Jesus is doing there. He's just surfing this one out. He is sleeping. In fact, can I introduce to you kind of a new concept for some of you? Sleeping can be a statement of faith. Understand that. Sleeping can be a statement of faith. It reveals what you believe. For some of you, think, how, how well do you sleep at night? I mean, you go, to, you go to bed thinking about, you know, terrorists. You go to bed thinking about the things that happen in the city. You go to bed thinking about home invasions that could happen. We lock our doors and click them shut together. And we go to bed thinking about the economy. We go to bed thinking about all these things. And then we don't sleep very well. You know what that's doing? That's playing practical atheism. That's saying, I'm in control here. I'm in charge. God doesn't have this one. And what Jesus is doing here, you can see the picture here. The storms are coming upon, the waves are spilling in, the water's coming from both sides, and there's the disciples. They are stressing out. But what is Jesus doing? And he is sleeping this one off. He's saying, ah, no big deal. Sleeping can be a statement of faith. At least that's what I try and tell my wife on Saturday afternoon when I have to do chores. Ah, I think I'm just going to get real spiritual right here, right? Put it out on the couch, right? No. Sleeping can be a statement of faith to say, God, I know you have this in control. This is a picture of complete trust in God. 
God, you got this one. So let me just, on the back of your page, talk about how we make it through storms. Let me just give you three quick little points that hopefully we can kind of rest in and use in our lives. How to make it through storms. The first one there is this. Remember that God is close. Remember God's close. And again, we see this in the story where it says in Matthew eight twenty three, and they got into the boat. His disciples followed him. But later when the storm hits, the disciples forgot that Jesus was there. Jesus did not go anywhere. Jesus was still right there in the boat. He was in the boat. The disciples just lost their focus on him. And the same thing is true when you and I go through storms. What do we do with our focus? Where do we watch? Where do our eyes shift to? Do they shift into the wind that's coming in? Do they shift into the waves that are coming in? Do they shift into the boat that is rocking? Or do they shift to Jesus and watching what Jesus is doing? Jesus is resting this one out. He's, he's, he's showing us his theology. He knows God's in charge. In fact, uh, Carlos um, is one of our custodians here at the church. A few weeks ago, he stopped me at nighttime. He said, hey, Pastor Brad, I know you're talking about storms coming up here. Let me show you a great little saying that I came across. I said, let me see that. And he showed it to me. I want to show it to all of you guys as well. Maybe it's something that you want to write down on your piece of paper here. Uh, Go ahead and show that up there, Susan. It's don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell your storm how big your God is. Good point, huh? Good point. Yes, storms can be big, but we don't need to cry to God and say, look at how big that storm is. We need to show the storm how big of a God we have and how much he can solve anything that comes our way. In fact, let me give you a little life situation story about this. I'm not sure how many of you have ever flown the really, really, really big jumbo jets. Uh, A number of years ago when I was going to the Dominican Republic um, as a short-term missionary, I flew one of those 767 jets. This this thing is mammoth, double-decker, huge rows um, uh, uh, as far as the chairs in there. I think there was a middle section of five chairs, and on the outside sections there were four uh, more. So there's like 13 rows across. I mean, this plane was just mammoth. And, and I happened to get stuck right in the very, very middle, middle of the middle row, right? Five rows, there I was. Just, just very uncomfortable, very like, okay, just put up with this type of thing. Every time you go to the bathroom and such, you're crawling over people and such. But here's what was interesting about this. Um, you'd have thought that maybe I would have been uh, kind of calm because I was right in the middle of the airplane. I wasn't on the outside rows or kind of where it can rock a little more. I was, I was right dead smack right in the middle. But the truth was I wasn't. Because my uh, hope or my, my uh, things that would quelch my, my fears were not based upon where I was seated on the airplane. It was based more on who was flying that airplane, correct? And I didn't know a thing about who the pilot was. I didn't know a thing about what he was thinking or what he was doing or what he was going through or what the thoughts were coming through his mind or what he was doing or anything. I couldn't see him. I couldn't hear him. I didn't know anything about him. However, let me tell you a time when I felt more at peace and more safe. It wasn't one of these huge jumbo jet planes. It was a four-seat airplane that a good friend of mine and my wife, uh, Carrie, asked us to fly over to San Francisco with. It was a man by the name of Derek Metro who used to serve on our staff here at First Baptist. He and his wife have since moved to Georgia, but their story is actually the first story written up in here. 
But he was a pilot also while he was serving here on staff, and he asked my wife and I to go over to San Francisco uh, just to fly over there with he and his wife. And so we jumped into this little four-seater airplane, and we took off, and we flew over to San Francisco. We flew over uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, flew over the Transamerica building, flew over where the 49ers play, flew over where the Giants attempt to play, flew over... uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. Oh, I'm joking. You know, I love Giants. Go Giants. Go Giants. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeek. Woo. Flew over um, where our schools were and other places. We always had a great time flying there. Flying. It, it, it was a great time. However, it was more bumpy. It was more rock because it was a smaller plane. But here's the deal. I sat right next to the pilot. And I could hear the pilot on the radio, what he was communicating with others. And I could see what the pilot was seeing. And I could see the decisions that that pilot was making. Specifically, I could see the pilot's upper lip. Because I knew if that upper lip broke up with sweat, we were in trouble. But if that upper lip was fine not quivering, was settled, then we were good. You know, that's how close the disciples were to Jesus. They could see his stress or lack of stress, and he was sleeping it off. That's how close you are to God. That he says, I know you by name. Come and see. See what I'm going through. That's how close we are to him. In fact, look at this verse out of Isaiah 43. It says, fear not. I've redeemed you. You are one of mine now. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, get this, I will what? I will be with you. And uh, and through the rivers, they shall not what? Overwhelm you. When the waters rise and when the storms come, I'm right here. You can see me. You can see me. So we need to know God is close. He's very close in the midst of those storms. My prayer is that you would feel it. I know know that's where it kind of gets into. We hear, okay, God's close. He's always close. But can you feel it? That's my prayer for you. But let's go to a second point. Second point is this. To survive life storms, we need to relax in God's care. You need to relax in that care. In fact, look at the version here out of Mark, Mark 4.38. The same story. It says, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, what we need to remember is that when we're in the storm, God does care about what we are going through. Now, some of you might be saying, wow, Pastor Brad, this is just deep theological stuff, right? You say, God, close. I've heard that one before. You say, uh, relax in God's care. Yep, I've heard that one before. Learn that in Sunday school. Learn that in kindergarten when I was in Sunday school. What do you got more from me? Well, you're right. I learned that in Sunday school as well. I, I learned, remember, God's close. Remember God, relax in his care. I, I learned that stuff in kindergarten too, but it's not hard for me to believe it. What's hard for me is to live like I believe it. And that is the same for all of us as well. That's why I said, how well do you sleep? Yes, you say you believe it. Well, then you should live like you believe it. That's the hard part. And so when we say relax in God's care, we're not just throwing that out as kind of a little trite saying. It's, are you doing it? 
Are you relaxing in his care? In fact, in the difficult times of life, when these storms hit, are you doing them? Notice I didn't say believe in God's care. I said relax in God's care. That shows what you believe, not just here, but here, and actions are proving that. In fact, let me share an an interesting situation. Um, uh, A man by the name of Harmon Smeltenbach is a uh, missionary in the Amazon region, and um, he's come and he's shared some stories about just some uh, interesting, interesting days that he's had in the Amazon being a missionary there. And one time he shared about how he was in his little uh, missionary building. There was a little hut and he was kneeling down and praying to God as he normally did every morning. And as he was praying, a um, huge python snake began to uncurl from the top of the rafters in his hut and make its way down to where he was. In fact, he was in such a state of prayer that the snake began to wrap itself around his body before he was aware of what the snake was doing. Now, many of you know that a python, those are constrictors, and they kill their victims by suffocating and squeezing them to death. So as, as um, Harmon begins to sense that that's what's going on here, The Lord gave him a verse. It just popped into his mind, and it was Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. He said, it flooded into my mind. And here's what the verse said. It said, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. He says, I don't know why this verse just all of a sudden popped into my head, but it did. And it came to this place of thinking about those words, rest is your rescue. Quietness is your salvation. Even though this snake began to wrap itself around him, he began to feel calm. He he began to try and rest. He began to feel like God was in control, and he remained perfectly still. As he prayed, he said, as he has never prayed before. (laughs) Experts later told him that if he had twitched a muscle, he would have died. But he didn't. He rested, he was calm, he was relaxed, and eventually that python just thought that he was a log or a stick or something like that and wasn't going to be good to kill or to eat. And so the python eventually unraveled itself and went on its way. He says this, he says he learned a lesson. He said, always pray with at least one eye open. And relax, relax, relax. In fact, look at what it says out of 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Let me give you the last point, and that is this. It's to trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty. See, Mark's account of the story is a little interesting. Mark tells us a little bit more details, and it says in Mark 4.39, he says, And he awoke, this is Jesus, when the disciples kind of woke him up, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus said, but Mark does, and, and the words that he uses, this, this quiet and be still in the Greek, are actually the most powerful words Jesus could have used. In fact, the Greek equivalent is sit down and shut up. But he doesn't say that to the disciples. Who's he say it to? 
the wind and the waves. Yeah, he says, sit down and shut up. Stop. I I think the ESV, the NIV, even the King James Version kind of wimps out here a little bit. Jesus is being very forceful here. He is laying it on. He's saying, my power is greater than yours. Sit down, shut up. It's done. I mean, look at this verse out of Jeremiah 32, 17. This is a great reminder from the Old Testament. It says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Get this now here. Listen to this. Nothing is too hard for you. Would you say that last phrase with me? Nothing is too hard for you. Say it again like you believe it. Nothing is too hard for you. My goal now is that you will go out, say that like you live it, live it like you believe it. Because we just read it. Nothing is too hard for you. Whatever storm you are going through, nothing is too hard for God to quiet that storm, to stand before you and say, sit down and shut up. And that's not at you, that's at the circumstance. And you, here, here's my prayer, that you will not be like the disciples in that boat, but you be like Jesus resting, sleeping, surfing those waves. Because you know who's in control. You know who's in control. You know who's in charge. Look at how the story ends out of Matthew 8. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? The storms of life obey him. In fact, let me give you just this in a nutshell. I think we fear too much because we trust God too little. We fear way too much in life because we trust God way too little. So let me ask you, let me just kind of summarize this. Where have you feared too much because you've trusted God too little? Where have you looked too much at the storm and taken your eyes off the one who calms the storm? Where are you feeling that your boat is rocking and outwardly you may look like you are on solid ground. You may even be giving that to everybody else, that impression to everybody else, but you know your boat is being rocked. Are you choosing the praise? Are you choosing the panic? Are you choosing peace? What are you choosing in the midst of that? Only you know. God does too, but only you can admit it. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to end our time here um, in this worship service uh, just having a moment to reflect, a moment to give back up to God what is rightfully his, and that is control of whatever storm, because he can say, sit down and shut up. Maybe even sometimes you feel like he's saying that to you. Good, take that on. Maybe we need to instead of panicking. But right here at the end of the service, here's what I want to do. Um, we're going to open up this altar for anybody who wants to come and just spend some time with the Lord. Because sometimes getting out of your normal routine, sometimes just acknowledging that and being before um, uh, a church and others and people can pray with you. We're going to have some people here who, who can pray with you as well. I'm more than willing to pray with you if you would like. If you'd like to just come and kneel, you can do that on your own. If you want to try and make some eye contact or just come down, talk to myself, talk to my wife, we'll have some other deacons, some other leaders around here that can do that as well. Whatever, whatever fits you. But maybe today you just need to come forward and say, you know what, I've not been giving this storm over to the Lord, and today I need to. 
I need to rest in this boat. I need to sleep in this boat. I need to say, God, you are in control of this. And so today we're just going to, you can do that in your own seats if you like, or you can do it down in front. It does not matter to me. Whatever way you can get before God and say, God, this one's yours. And you will have people around you praying. You will have people helping you as well because we want to do this together. And just let God be God. Trust him. Trust him. In fact, why don't we pause right now and let's just enter into that time of prayer with him, okay? Let's pray. You know, as we enter into this time of prayer, let me just ask you those questions I just asked you. Where have you feared God, or where have you feared too much because you've trusted God too little? What's rocking your boat? Where have you stopped looking at God and put your eyes on the storm instead? Lord, today we want to be people who look to the one who calms the storm. And so today we do just that. Lord, this is our time to come before you. Even as some have already come down to the altar, we come before you now in a state of bowed posture just to be reminded how much in control you are. So even now as we sing, even now as we worship, may we turn our panic to praise and may that be done in a state of prayer. God, we come before you now.